And you'll see tonight we're in Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 to 4, but just to kind of set the context, I want us to read from the end of chapter 1, verse 27, and we'll read through to the end of verse 11 in in chapter 2. Philippians chapter 1, verse 27. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I may hear of you that you're standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now here I still have. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Having this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let's pray and ask God for help as we come to his word. Father, might you grant us humble hearts, humble hearts that are willing to sit under your word to listen attentively, to store up your words in our hearts. And might our hearts be willing to change. Might our desire be to hear from you and to be obedient, to listen to our master and to be led by him. Father, we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. This week has seen some of, the, some of the worst flooding that we have known in our lifetime in this area, and whether that's in Portadown or, or Newry or Downpatrick, maybe where you live, you've came across major flooding. Maybe you've personally been affected and uh, there has been some real devastation caused. But maybe you were just like me and you were just driving around and, and looking at some of the flooding, looking at some of the flooding, and even for days after, as you drove around, you, see, you could see fields that were just completely flooded. You'd go through Portadown, and you'd look at the river, and the waters were just covering this huge expanse. And you start to wonder, I mean, how does it happen? You know what? 
I was there, I was in the house, I could hear the rain hitting the roof, okay, all those little raindrops were just coming down, but then you look at this great big expanse of water that seems to be covering huge areas, and you think, how did, how did that happen? All these little raindrops came down, and then this happened. Well, we, we know the answer, don't we? We, we know that the answer that we should think through logically. Well, what happens is the, the raindrops come down, those little raindrops, and then they, they run into streams, the little streams, into bigger streams, into small rivers, and the river, rivers, they all gush downwards towards the, the big rivers. And what happens is the big rivers, will they then fill up, don't they? They fill up and fill up and fill up until if they get higher than the banks, then they spill over. And at that point, it's, it's pretty much impossible to stop, isn't it? Pretty much impossible to stop. If the rain comes down, well then, the water rises. That's what happens. The rains come down. The water must go somewhere. The rain comes down, and the river then rises. The passage that we're looking at tonight follows this similar pattern. If, then. If, then. And if the if happens, then it's only right that we should expect the then to follow along. This time it's, it's not if the rain falls, then the, then the river rises. But this time it's if there is benefit to being in Christ, well then live out your faith in humble unity. Let's work our way through these uh, verses in Philippians this evening. The verses start off with, so, so, or you could translate the, the, the original Greek word there as, as therefore, as so or therefore, whatever appears in your text, okay? So's and therefores are really important because they show us that what is coming is linked to what has gone before. What is it, therefore? So, so what might it be that we need to know from before? Well, one thing that we need to know is that Paul is, is writing to a group of believers. That's who he's writing to here. Remember, they were in Christ and they were at Philippi. In Christ and they were at Philippi. They were a, a group of believers who have brought Paul great joy. We've mentioned that a number of times. They were sacrificial partners with him in the gospel. And we know that they are they're suffering for the faith, just like Paul himself is also suffering for the faith. And they were facing opposition from the outside. And Paul has just been stressing to them that they need to live a life that is worthy of the gospel. That was our whole focus last week, wasn't it? living a life that is worthy of the gospel. And one of the aspects of that worthy living was the unity of the body of believers. The unity of the body of believers. There was a, well, he was saying there needs to be this standing side by side. There was to be this firmness of um, standing firm in, a, in one spirit together. They were of one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. And what we see here is that Paul is, is going to go further as he talks about the, the unity of the body. He's going to flesh it out a bit more for us this evening. But before he does, he, he wants to remind the believers of something. He wants to remind them. And this is where the, the ifs come in. Because Paul wants to lay a, a foundation of ifs. A foundation of ifs that will then lead to the thens. And here they are. Firstly, if there is any encouragement in Christ. For the believers in, in Philippi, how do you think they're going to answer this? Is there any encouragement for us in Christ? Well, 
They're going to think it through, aren't they? Is there any encouragement for us in Christ? Well, yes, of course there is. Of course there is. Being in Christ is the very thing that gives them hope, isn't it? It's because that they are in Christ that they have their sins forgiven. It's because they are in Christ that they are sure of a certain hope of a resurrection life to come. It's because that they are in Christ that they have access to the Father. Is there is there any encouragement? Well, of course there is. What's the second if? If there is any comfort from love. If there is any comfort from love, well, how do you think this group of believers in Philippi would answer this? Is there any comfort? Any comfort from love? Well, of course there is. Of course there is. They have comfort from not being in this right relationship with God. They've had their sins forgiven. They're no longer sitting as enemies with God. No, now they're friends with God. Isn't there great comfort that comes with that? Of course there is. I mean, Christ had shown his love for them in that while they were still sinners, he had died for them. Is there a greater display of, of love? No. So is there comfort for the believer? Yeah, of course there is. The third if if there is any participation in the Spirit. This could also be translated, any fellowship produced by the Spirit. Now, what's it talking about here? Well, it could be talking about enjoying fellowship with the Holy Spirit, or it could be talking about enjoying fellowship with other believers, those who themselves are filled with the Spirit also. Although I'm not entirely sure which when it is, whether it's one or the other, or, or whether it's actually talking about both, surely the Philippians, to either of those, or both, would say, yes, yes, absolutely there is. Fourthly, if there is any affection and sympathy. Again, it's, it's hard to know if this is talking about with other believers or with Christ himself. Let's start by thinking about if it was with Christ himself, do we see Christ showing affection and sympathy? Well, yes. Where do we see it? We see it on the cross, don't we? As he dies for sinners. What a deep affection. Sympathy, well, yes, he, he understands the human state as Christ himself takes on flesh. He's fully human. And how gracious is Christ and how he treats us. And if Christ's followers are to live in a Christ-like way, well then, surely for the believer, they also experience affection and, and sympathy from other believers as well. And so, is there any affection and, and sympathy? What do you think the Philippian believers would say? They would say, yes, absolutely, absolutely there is. And that's exactly Paul's point. See, it's not as if Paul is asking them these ifs, expecting them to be thrown into some sort of quandary thinking, do you know what? I'm not sure. Is there? <laughs> That's not really the response he's expecting. No, he's, he's expecting to say, absolutely. Absolutely there is. Yes, of course there is. And so his argument is this. Well, if the ifs are yeses, and they certainly are, well, then what? Then what? What's the then? Well, it's possibly a surprise to us as we read it because Paul says he wants them to complete his joy. That's what he says. He wants them to complete his joy. We can 
often live in such an individualistic way, and often we adopt the, adopt the attitude that as, as long as we please Jesus, it doesn't matter how we live. But per, perhaps we forget that one of the ways that we please Jesus is actually by being a joy, a joy for those who are placed in leadership over us. Because a good leader, a good church leader, like Paul here, is gonna look for the very thing that will bring him joy, and that is godliness, growth in godliness. You see, in how God sets up the world, and in how God has set up and ordered his church, we're not here as isolated individuals who have no impact on each other. No, we, we actually have real relationships with each other, don't we? Hopefully you've realized that by now. Okay, we, we actually get to know each other and we have real life relationships with each other. And those relationships can bring us great joys, can't they? But they can also give us great sorrow. Moments that our hearts are, are full and moments that our hearts are full of deep, deep pain. And your church leaders are no different. They are no different. They are ordinary people. They have real hearts, hearts that can be encouraged and hearts that can be deeply discouraged, hearts that can be heavy and hearts that can be full of joy. And it seems here that Paul is not scared to show that, well, their response to the gospel truths laid out in those four ifs will actually impact on him. They will, they'll have an impact on him. And so his appeal is, don't you want to bring an old man great joy? A man who himself has shared the gospel with them in the first place. Don't you want to bring him great joy? I wonder, I wonder if bringing joy to the hearts of those who have been set in spiritual leadership over you is ever a motivating factor for how you act. I wonder if that ever came across your mind to think, this would really please the elders, those who have been set in leadership over me, this would, this would bring them great joy. I think perhaps we, perhaps we might even think, is that not wrong? Am I not just people pleasing? Well, no, Paul's, Paul's really clear. What is motivating? It's really the gospel right back in, 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 in verse one. It's the gospel realities in verse one that are the key drivers in the action. But he doesn't seem to shy away from the fact that bringing joy to him really is something that he wants them to do. So I think we have to ponder that, don't we? I wonder, do we seek to bring joy to those who are leading us and placed in leadership over us? What is it that will bring him great joy? Well, if there's a positive response to the ifs in verse one, there'll be the thens. And really the, the thens that we're gonna see, there's, there's four of them as well, and they really gather around one big theme. And the big theme is really that of unity. Let's have a look at them. Firstly, then be of the same mind. What does that mean? 
doesn't mean that we all have to think exactly the same thing about everything. Well, I don't think so. I don't think that's what he's really meaning. I've yet to hear of a church where that's the case, unless it was some sort of cult, okay? And so uh, we're not encouraging that. But that's not to say that the main threads, the main threads aren't laid in the same direction. That as a church, you know what you're about, you know what you're seeking to do, that you act as, as one body. It's not just everyone does whatever they think. No, 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 there's a sense of corporate togetherness. There's a sense of we move as one, we are a body. That's the first thing that we see. Secondly, secondly, if the answers are yes to what's above, then be of the same love. Now, what you love drives you, doesn't it? That's the reality. What you love drives you. And for God's people, these believers were to have the same love, the same love. Now, what do you think the same love was to be? Well, think of Jesus' command, uh, which summarized the Ten Commandments. Love God and love others. Is that what it was? Love God and love others. And in that order. You see, this group were to be together because of their shared love for God, for God's people, and for others, for their neighbor. And because of that, it should... It should bring this cohesion, this, this unity. They should be pulled together because they are driven by the same loves. Thirdly, if the answers are yes to what's above, then be in full accord and of one mind. Again, it's very similar to what's gone before, isn't it? A oneness of mind, a unity in your thinking, a setting out together to do the same thing. Three very similar things. It's as, if he's, it's as if he's saying the same thing again and again and again in a number of different ways. Teachers do that, don't they? They spend all of their time just saying the same things in different ways because they know that the class are slow to uptake. Sometimes preachers do that. You might have noticed us do that quite, quite often. Um, less, of a, less of a response there. Um, <laughs> why do we do that? Because sometimes just by, just by shedding it in a slightly different light helps us to see it, doesn't it? And repetition is key, and so we go over again and again, and we kind of layer things up on top of each other to really make the point. And it seems that Paul here really wants to make the point. If, then. And the then is unity. And the fourth thing, the fourth thing, rather than being a positive, was a negative. It's a it's a do not, okay? A do not. What's it, what is the, the do not? Well, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. And then he kind of flips it more positively because remember, this is a joy-filled letter to the Philippians. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves that each of you look not only to his own interests but also to the interests of others. See, it seems that Paul's already aware. He's already aware of what's happening in this church to this group of believers in Philippi. It seems that he's already aware that there's, well, seeds of division and they're taking root. They're taking root and they are starting to grow. In fact, later in the letter, we will meet 
uh, Uria and Syntyche, and Paul names them. Paul names them, pleading that they would agree in the Lord because they're at loggerheads, they're pulling apart, and they should be pulling together in the same direction. The seeds of division are beginning to show fruit, and the fruit is not good fruit. It's not good fruit. And we know, like Paul, that believers can, can end up pulling in, in different directions all too easily. It happens all too easily, doesn't it? The single-mindedness, the, the, the unity, the togetherness that we long for and that Paul longs for here can all too easily be fragmented. And Paul tells us that often the cause of that is, is actually selfish ambition and conceit. You see that? When someone wants to take control to make a name for themselves rather than seeking to bring glory to Christ. And you know, in church life, as you think about it, this could, this could happen in 101 different ways, maybe 1,001 different ways. It could be the musician that seeks to get all of the limelight once the light's all on them. It could be the church member that wants to become an elder for the fame and the glory and the power rather than the sacrificial service of Christ and his bride. It could be the organizational leader who thinks that their organization in the church is the most important thing, more important than the rest of the church. It could be the assistant that really wants to be the minister. It could be the minister that really wants to have a mega church and to get some call to, you know, one of those big churches that has thousands and thousands and thousands, probably not in Northern Ireland, but, you know, somewhere far off. It could be the man who wants to impose his preferred dress code on everybody else in the church family. It could be the woman who wants the songs to be the particular style that is her preference every week, every song. You see, it's all too easy, isn't it? All too easy to move from a togetherness, from a unity, from a side-by-side pulling together to a, to a pulling apartness. And it usually happens when someone is thinking too much of themselves and whenever they want their own way, no matter what the cost. What are they supposed to do? Well, they're supposed to not think about their own interests, but rather to think about the person in the pew beside them, to think about the person who's behind them, to think think about the person who's in front of them, to think about their interests and to hold their interests as more important than their own, to think about those outside the church, those in the village and the town and the country around, and think, well, how how can I show that I am valuing them more than me. You see, Paul knows that it's when we think of others as more significant than ourselves, that whenever we look at other, others and their, their interests and we, we hold them higher than our own, that this is what will prevent disunity. This is what will really unite the church body. This is what will pull us tighter and tighter together when we think of others more than we think of ourselves. It prevents much disunity from taking place. Now I say it, takes, it prevents much disunity from taking place because I, I realize that there are times that you might have to humbly oppose your neighbor. There are times when we need to confront others for their behavior. 
because that is truly the loving thing to do. To ignore it would actually not be to love your neighbor. And so it's really important that we actually stand up at those times as well. And to, to let them continue would, would be a failure of our duty if we were not to confront them. And sometimes, as we do that, the person may not want to hear what we have to say. And so following the real Jesus, listening to Jesus' commands and taking him seriously can actually cause division. That can actually happen. And yet, that's not really what Paul has in mind here. No, it seems that the, the division that he's seeking to prevent is caused by pride. It's caused by a lack of humility. It's caused by selfish ambition and vain glory. You have to wonder, don't you? You have to wonder, is that why Uriah and Syntyche are at loggerheads? Is it pride? Is that what's going on there? Pride and selfish ambition and, and vain glory surely should not be part of the church. Should not be what we see among believers. Why? Well, because of Christ. That's the reason, because of Christ. Remember the ifs right at the start? If there is any encouragement in Christ, you see that the ifs come before the ends and Paul gets the order right and the order is really, really, really important. He doesn't just jump straight in and say, look, you guys down in Philippi, you need to you know, buckle up and get your act together. No, he doesn't say that, does he? He doesn't say, right, just, just be united because he knows that's not gonna work. What does he do? Well, he reminds them. He reminds them who they are. He says, remember who you are. Remember the good news of the gospel. Remember the benefits of this new identity that you find yourself in Christ. Remember that the spirit that now dwells within you and how you enjoy fellowship together. And that's what energizes us, isn't it? That's what empowers us to be able to live gospel-shaped lives. Because the believer is in Christ, because they're in Christ, that is their new identity, then their lives are to be marked with Christ-likeness. And is pride and selfish ambition the mark of Christ? Hopefully you know the answer. Because the answer is certainly not. And that's exactly where Paul's argument leads. And I don't want to look too much at what comes next because, um, well, that's going to be another Sunday night sermon, isn't it? But just glance at verse 7. Look at where Paul's argument goes. Christ emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. You see, here's what happens. When we look at Christ, when we look at Christ, we see a man who lives out humility, don't we? A man who lives out humility. As we look at the cross, we see Jesus, the God-man, look on us and see our lives as more important than his own. And so he lays down his life for his people. And that's to be our posture too, isn't it? As we're called to live Christ-like lives, we're to see others as more important than ourselves. And so as we remember who we are in Christ and, and all of the benefits that come with it, if there is any encouragement in Christ, well then, 
We are to live humble lives, having a, a mindset of seeing others as more important than ourselves. And what's going to be the result? Unity. The body will come together. We will be held strongly together. And from last week, you'll remember what happens as you stand side by side, firm in the gospel. Remember what happens? It's a message to those who oppose the gospel, but it's also a message to those who are standing. It encourages us in our faith, doesn't it, for the believer? So as Paul asked the Philippian believers some questions, those ifs at the start, perhaps I could be so bold as to ask you the same kind of questions this evening. And I want you to ponder them. And I want you to think about the answers. Do you know the encouragement of being in Christ? Do you know that this evening? Do you know comfort from the love of Christ? Do you know that this evening? Are you enjoying the fellowship of the Spirit as you gather together with believers? Are you? Do you know the affection and sympathy of a Savior who died for you and has sent His Spirit to be your helper? Because if you're saying yes to these, well then won't you seek then to live in unity with your brothers and sisters as part of the church body? Won't you strive to think of yourself less and to think of others more? To see others as more important than yourself, putting their priorities ahead of your own? So what does that look like? What does it look like? Because it might be easy to, to nod our heads and say, yes, I think others are more important than myself. But then just to continue to act in a way that shows that I actually think I'm more important than everyone else. So I wonder, do you serve in church? That might be a way to question whether, whether you really value others. Um, are you serving in church? There's, again, lots of different ways that you can do that. Because I think if you're serving others, it's one of the ways that shows that you really do value others. You're seeing them as more important than yourself. What about using your time and, and gifts? How do, you, how do you do that? Is it all just doing what you want to do, or, or are you willing to lay it down for the benefit of others? What about giving financially? If we're seeing others as more important than ourselves, are we willing to actually sacrifice something that we're willing not to, not to have something that we might want in order for someone else to benefit? What, in, what about seeking to see others become disciples and then grow as disciples? As you look at your life, does that look like it's a priority? Is there space where that's your intentional focus to, to make disciples and see disciples grow? Because if we really value others, well then surely that's going to be something that we're going to seek to do, isn't it? And what about what about conflict? It's one of those things that when you say conflict from the front of a church, it goes very quiet. What about conflict? Are there already relationships that are 
that are strained, relationships where there's real tension within the church family. And could it be, could it be that it's coming from a lack of humility on your part? Could that be the case this evening? Where you need to humbly go and talk to someone and say, I'm really sorry. Because it was pride, that's, that's what was causing the division. I, I wasn't really thinking about you, I was thinking about me. How different maybe church would feel if, if we were all to go and sort out those relationships. Would we really feel that togetherness, that, that pulling in the same direction, that side-by-sideness? And might we leave here more and more encouraged each week? And might those who look in, might they be confronted with the gospel? And might it remind them of the good news of the gospel? Might it show them a wonderful picture of a church family and what it is to be in the church family? And might they say, I want to be part of that. That's a family like no other. Let me in. If you really know the first verse of Philippians chapter 2 to be true, well, then there should be fruit, shouldn't there? If the ifs are there, then we should see the thens. There really should be good fruit bearing in our lives. Like the raindrops from the sky leads to the river rising. Being in Christ should lead to Christ-like humility and a unity in the body of believers. If you're here, and maybe honestly, as you read chapter, uh, verse one, you're saying, I, I actually don't know the benefits. I don't know the benefits. Well then, look at what's on offer. Look at how attractive it is. It is a free gift and it's been held out. Salvation has been held out. And so tonight, turn to Jesus and humbly come to him confessing your sin, repenting of your sin, trusting in Jesus. And only then, once you know the ifs, will you start to see the thens. Only once you know the ifs, will you see the thens and be able to work them out in your life. Let's pray. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. That each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Father, might each one of us, as we think about these ifs, might we know them to be realities in our hearts, that we really do know and enjoy all of the benefits that come from being in Christ. And Lord, if that is so, might the thens be so obvious, so obvious in our lives, might we really experience great unity? Might we lay down our lives for others? Might we see them as more significant than ourselves? Might we look to their interests as much as we look to our own? Lord, give us this mind. Together we pray. Amen.